Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Austin Common Radio Hour. I'm your host, Amy Stansbury, and today we're continuing with our election education series, and we're going to be talking all about the District 8 Austin City Council election. Now, in case you're not a city council district map expert, (laughs) District 8 is located in southwest Austin. And again, you can figure out which council district you live in by visiting austintexas.gov forward slash government. Anyway, in case you missed our previous election episodes, here's a quick little recap of the things you should know about the upcoming local elections in Austin. First up is that election day is November 8th, and early voting starts on October 24th. And this year, we have five Austin City Council seats on the ballot and a pretty competitive mayor's race that we'll all be voting for as well. Another thing to note is that council candidates in Austin, they don't run with any official political party affiliation. Now, you can, of course, pretty easily tell which party they align with, but it means that there's no primary election. And so instead of just seeing one Republican and one Democrat on the ballot, you're going to see a whole lot of different names. And in District 8, the current council member, Paige Ellis, uh, she's actually running for re-election, and three candidates are challenging her for the seat. And we're going to hear from Paige and uh, those candidates in a second. But before we get to the interviews, I just wanted to share a few of my tips for things to listen for. Because I know that with so many candidates running, it can feel a little overwhelming to sift through them all and decide which candidate you're actually going to vote for. Um, Okay, so here are my tips. Tip number one, listen for the issues and the priorities that the candidates bring up on their own, sometimes without me even asking. This can really help you figure out what's important to them. Tip number two, Um, It's really easy for a candidate to say they're upset because Austin is so unaffordable, but do they actually have a plan to do something about it? Listen for the specifics, and for candidates who have clearly taken the time to think about this issue. And tip number three, think about what you value, and then see if a candidate's experience and qualifications matches those values. So, for example, maybe you're looking for someone who has deep roots in the community and volunteers a lot. Or maybe you want someone with experience in government who knows how things work and can really just hit the ground running on day one. Or maybe you prefer prefer more of an outsider candidate who can bring a fresh skill set to City Hall. Basically, the idea with all these tips is just to think about your values and priorities and then to find a candidate who matches them best. Okay, let's get to those interviews already. Oh, and for each of these interviews, I did ask the candidates to participate in a little show-and-tell activity. Uh, basically, I just asked them to bring one item of sentimental value, or that showed something about themselves as real human people, and to share it with all of us. So you're going to hear that in the interviews, and if you want to see photos of what they brought, you can check that out on our Instagram page. Okay, for real this time, on to the interviews. First up is Paige Ellis. All right, I am here with Paige. We're talking city council. Um, let's let's jump right into it. Who are you? Why are you running for re-election? I am Paige Ellis. I'm the current Austin City Council member for District 8, which is Southwest Austin. And I'm running for re-election because we've accomplished a lot in the first four years, and I know I can do even more in the next four years. So I care a lot about affordability and the environment, and I care about people having access to reproductive health care and making sure that our city's doing its part to end gun violence locally. Yeah, let's let's talk about some of your past four years. What would you say? Maybe let's pick like one or two big accomplishments that you feel really proud of and uh, like that some good work was really done on council. So there's been a couple of big items that I've been really proud of, um, you know, one of which is 
$160 million mobility bond that the voters approved overwhelmingly in 2020. And this is a bond that helps supplement Project Connect. So it has better first mile, last mile connectivity, which is really important as our city grows. Uh, another thing I'm really proud of is, you know, when the winter storm hit Southwest Austin, we were the first to go off with having access to clean drinkable water and we were the last to come back online. And so we were able to do more work as a city council office to make sure we had distribution centers set up and that we were out in each neighborhood figuring out what the needs of the community were. And so I'm really proud of the way that not only my team, but the community stepped up to help each other. And I think that's what we need in a leader that's going to be helping to represent a tenth of the city of Austin. Yeah. Um, let's dive a little bit into some of the big issues facing our city. Obviously, housing affordability is a huge one. That's what all the candidates have been talking about. Um, what do you feel like, I'm sure this is maybe in the unfinished business category of council, there's always conversation happening about it. What are you looking forward to in the next four years that you feel like council can achieve when it comes to affordable housing? Well, I hope that not only we can pass the $350 million affordable housing bond that's coming to us this November as well, um, but affordable housing doesn't always have to be capital A affordable housing. Mm -hmm. You know, we all know that we need subsidized housing. We need to make sure that we're protecting the members in our community that are at risk of displacement, but we also need to make sure that our market housing has enough stock so that we're not inadvertently driving up the cost of housing purely on speculation and values. That's what we've seen over the last couple of years is that have been selling for, you know, exorbitant prices. Some people are deciding that they, you know, want to sell their house and they want to be able to see the financial investment that they have made in that home. But that they would turn around and realize, well, now what do I buy? Because I don't necessarily want to be, you know, locked at you know the higher rate of what my home's value is worth and so I think it's important that we're number one allowing for more housing whether that's lot by lot zoning or just trying to figure out what types of other land use policies like um, PUDs can we do to make sure we have enough housing stock in the community but I also was a co-sponsor of doubling the homestead exemption so I'm really trying to chip away at this at both angles and and helping people who are in their homes stay in their and at the same time, allow for more diverse housing stock so that there's more options on the table in all parts of town. Yeah, you know, there's been a lot of conversation lately about, well, a few different things. One, kind of VMU and VMU2, kind of figuring out how we can incentivize more denser housing. And also being a little bit more creative with city-owned land has been something I've really seen this council take up a little bit more. And it seems like people are calling for even more and more of it because there's limited funds, obviously, to literally build the housing. But can you have partner private, you know, public private partnerships in order to build on city owned land? You know, talk a little bit more about some of those those projects or what you'd like to see um, as we continue to explore those ideas. So what I think a lot of people don't know is common with both of those conversations is that the housing stock that would get built is also a community benefit. A lot of people talk about if we allow for more height or you know, we change setbacks, that we've got to have those community benefits that come with it, you know, quote unquote community benefit. Oftentimes that means building affordable housing on site, paying fee in lieu so the city can build it 
park space, you know, other amenities that people really want uh, to see in that package of benefits. But at the same time, if we don't actually get the housing stock built, you know, those are those are roofs over people's heads that is no longer available in in the market space. And so I always try to look at allowing people to build a little bit taller, an extra floor or two is, you know, to me, not not going to drastically change what people are seeing in their neighborhood. But but the housing is a community benefit. So we need to make sure we're actually realizing this instead of having the conversation be completely outside of what housing units could be achieved. Yeah, um, I want to shift gears slightly and talk about homelessness. Um, I feel like this is the issue that comes up the most with people who are maybe upset with some of the things council has done. Um, and, and, and mostly what I hear is a concern of it feels like we're spending more money on this issue. It feels like we're investing more, but are we seeing the results? And I wonder if you can talk a little bit about that, because I'm sure you're hearing that from constituents as well. Right. And homelessness is one of those topics that, you know, it uh, people don't like to see people in poverty. It's, it's very, you know, disturbing just to kind of realize that people are living on the street, you know, that women are unhoused and don't have a door to lock at night to protect them. But the, the issues surrounding homelessness are multifaceted. So there's, you know, number of housing units preventing people from falling into homelessness. There's job skills training, there's healthcare and education that go with it. And, you know, making sure that there are places for people to go is the big conversation. So without having any help from the state, there, there are, you know, some costs that the city is solely on the hook for to make sure that we're helping people. I hope that we can all agree that the criminal justice system is not the place to be helping people get out of homelessness, giving people tickets and throwing them in jail simply for not having a place to go makes it harder for them to get back on their feet. So I've been proud of championing the Workforce First program. We created the Clean Creeks crew that is a jobs pipeline to help people stabilize their income. They can get a roof over their head and they've got a, a job to go to. It can work nine to five. That's a really big first step, stabilizing someone that has, you know, fallen through the cracks. So it, it is a hard issue to solve. It is hard to get to a place where you're not going to see an individual who's homeless, you know, somewhere in the city. But I've been to other states and, and even to Canada to study this issue. And without having state partnership and federal partnership coming in to help us, it, it is unfortunate that the city's trying to tackle this issue alone. But this is a big city issue. You're seeing it all over the United States where people um, are having a hard time accessing health care and paying rent. And, and these are situations that every big city is dealing with right now. Yeah. And, and if you're reelected over the next four years, what would you like to what would you like to see the city focus on when it comes to homelessness? You know, what are some of the programs or initiatives that are starting to get rolling that you're like, man, I would love to see us double down or really turn this into something, something thriving? Um, so I would love for us to have better communication to the public about what successes are being achieved. Mm. Um, I've created a dashboard over the past few years, but a lot of the metrics because everybody who was doing data analytics in 2020 had switched gears into 
COVID data analytics. And so a lot of, a lot of the information and tracking that was available to us previously is kind of lagging behind. And so I think when there are success stories and when people are exiting homelessness, you don't really see those success stories. So a lot of people are left focusing on the work left to do. So I would, I would love for us to do more communication on, on how we're helping people exit homelessness or how we're preventing people from falling into it in the first place. Um, but at the same time, you know, we really have to make sure we've got enough places for people to go so that we can then switch gears and say, all right, now that there's enough places for people to go, we've really got to tackle, you know, when people don't want to go in into a place that we've provided for them. That's a different situation and different conversation that needs to address. But, you know, we also are looking to our private partners who do care a lot about this issue um, to help step up and help um, create the spaces that, that will help people get off the street. Mm -hmm. um, so we talked some about housing affordability, homelessness. Um, if you're reelected, what's another specific policy area that you really want to focus on that you feel like um, you could make some good progress on in the next four years? I would love to take another look at our building permit process. There is a lot of projects that people are privately funding. They have the zoning for it. They've submitted their application and then they're stuck in a cycle of not getting their applications reviewed quickly enough. The departments that need to review them sometimes have conflicting information. So your first set of plans, they tell you to change it one way and you get to the next department and they tell you to change it back the other way. And so you're stuck in the middle of whether you do or do not need to have this you know certain aspect of your plans built and at the end of the day that's costing money and there are people who have employees ready to go ready to build these projects ready to build housing um it's already zoned and they have their application in and then their you know fees are jumping around and they don't know their timeline and these are really big issues that are preventing us from being able to build the housing that people you know need to have in this community and the last thing we should have is whether or not people agree with the rule, we should know what the rule is. And it should be very predictable to say, I've done what I need to do. You know, can you get this approved quicker? So I really want to take apart that permit review process and streamline it and help people who are coming to the table with good projects to just not have government standing in the way. Mm -hmm. And then just before we close, we're doing our little show and tell activity, get to know our candidates more. What do you bring for us today? So I brought for you, it's actually two items. All right. The first is my sturdy pair of new <laughs> pumps. And the second is my sturdy pair of hiking boots. And so I brought these items because a lot of the work I do, I thought was going to all be high heels and, you know, sitting in government buildings and meeting rooms and I got invited on a tour of the Brackenridge Research Facility off of Lake Austin Boulevard. Um, it was probably a year and a half ago at this point. And I thought I was getting a facility tour. So I, I show up in my high heels mm -hmm. and they say, we're going to actually be hiking around in the woods. Our research facility is very much about you know, agriculture and plants and species. And there's all these other little research projects that we're doing over here. And I said, well, lucky for me, I've got... I've got my North Face hiking boots in my car. So I just switched into those boots. And I, it just reminds me there's a lot of this work that sometimes is about policy and in you know, buildings and public meetings. And there's a whole other aspect of it that is about exploring cars features and hiking through the snow and 
get, you know, going and really understanding the terrain and the ecology of, of what Southwest Austin is all about. And so I just, I like that I have to be prepared for high heels or hiking boots and we've, we've got to do it all because that makes better policies, I think, in the long run. And that was Paige Ellis. Next up, we're going to hear from Antonio Ross. All right, I'm here with Antonio. We're talking city council. Let's dive right into it. Who are you? Why are you running? Well, my name is Antonio Ross, and I'm running for city council because I have been inspired by the things that have happened to me in my life and my daughter, she was stricken with a lifelong illness called Stevens Johnson syndrome. And that's something that our community doesn't know about. So I would like to spread information to my community about that. And also public school safety has really been heavy on my mind because I have a granddaughter in school and, and we have to protect our children. And also more pay for the staff, such as custodians and um, cafeteria workers and things like that and bus drivers, you know, that these are the things that inspire me to run. Also the homeless, uh, I'm a veteran in the United States Army and I see a lot of veterans that are still homeless. So that inspired me as well. And the last but not least, affordable housing. I, my daughter, She's on affordable living, but every time her SSI go up, rent go up, you know, mm -hmm. so how are they getting ahead in it? So I would like to see how can we get a cap on that as well. Okay. Let's talk about some of those issues. We'll start with affordable housing. Yes. Um, more specifically, <clears throat> what do you feel like you would want to see done if you were elected to city council? What would you want to work on to help increase affordable housing in our city? Um, exactly what I said in my opening statement that I would like to see a cap on some of these uh, on the renters because uh, renters come in starting their rent at $1,400. Two years later, they're already almost at $2,000. Where does the cap stop, you know? And how do we keep Austinites in their homes? So, those are the issues I would like to work on, you know, and because we're trying to address homelessness, but we're gonna have more homelessness with people being forced out of their homes because they can't afford them. So I would like to see what kind of cap we could put on that. Yeah, now I know that rent control and like caps on rent for market rate housing, it's illegal in the state of Texas. Right. So do, we, do you feel like there's other ways we can get at it? Are you talking about specifically affordable housing? like? Um, housing yes. that's subsidized by the city, having those rents being less than they are now? Yes. And, and the houses that they're building, absolutely. Yes. So they're they're coming up with a $515 million bond to uh, for Project 360. And I think that is very good. But we also have to look at, you know, there's three stages of homelessness and affordable housing. You know what I mean? Like you have forced homelessness where they, you know, being forced out because they can't pay rent. And you have mental, where we have to look into the mental state stability of them being able to, you know, stay in their homes and afford them. And then you have um, lifestyle. Is mm -hmm. this what 
do they want to be, you know, out here homeless and doing what they're doing? Or is there some kind of way we can help them mentally or whatever? But the, the affordable part, we have to get something in place to where people can still afford to live in Austin. Right. Do you feel like there are other ways to do it beyond rent control since that is illegal in the state right now for the vast majority yeah. of our, of well, our well, homes? I think, I think what we're going to have to do is start working with landlords and, you know, and start getting with uh, property managers and seeing what we can come up with in order to keep Austin nights in Austin. Mm-hmm. Um, let's talk about homelessness a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. You mentioned it a few times. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you feel like city council has responded to our city's homelessness crisis so far? And what would you like to see them doing differently over the I, next four years? I don't think that they have responded to it much at all because they have lifted the camping ban, you know, things like that. They haven't went forward with any projects that they started on far as like, uh, setting up housing for them at the renovating that old hotel that they were starting to do mm-hmm. that got kicked out they stopped working on that to well house. there are several hotels that have yeah. been and are converted to there there are housing. a few but it's not nearly enough but okay we, more yeah yes because we still have a lot of homeless on the street camping on the street you know and it's hurting small businesses as well mm-hmm. do you think it's a matter of is, do you want to see more enforcement? Do you want to see more investment in housing for the homeless? Like, how do we start to Both. to tackle this issue? Both. We have to have more investment. Well, like like the Project 360 that's coming. But Project Con- Project Connect Con- is it Project transit? Connect. Yeah. Yes, I'm sorry. That's okay. But yes, they um it's coming, but they want to wait until they receive all the money to get started. But I think there is a way to get at least get the people going far as like their paperwork, their stability, their mental, if they need counseling, whatever the case may be, let's get started on it. Because homelessness didn't just start today. It's been here for a long time. And I'm proud though that Austin could be the first city to end it. So that's a positive vibe on it. But as far as it being dealt with now, I don't really see it. Mm-hmm. I feel bad. We talked about homelessness and affordable housing. If you were elected, what's another priority issue you'd like to focus on or policy you'd like to advocate for? Uh, school safety. School safety. And what do you mean yes. by that? Talk a little bit I, more. I, I mean by let's get the locks. Let's get, uh, I've heard of some schools that's not secured. Of course, they're not going to say which schools they are but it's been reported. And I wanna be the councilman that goes to every school, not just in my district. I'm here for the whole city of Austin because we've been Uvalde strong, we've been El Paso strong, we gotta stay Austin strong as well. Mm -hmm. And we have to stay vigilant and take care of our children. Do you feel like there's a role for city council to play in this? Because I think traditionally, People might think this is the job of the school board to focus on school safety, but do you think there's an opportunity for the city to get involved in this effort as well? Absolutely. Absolutely. We can help the school board. We can all work together to get this taken care of. Children should be our number one priority. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, 
And, you know, in, in launching your candidacy and, and working towards these issues, I would say you're you have not been engaged in a lot of city council politics in the past. Is that accurate? Yes. Yeah. So as like sort of an outsider candidate, what do you mm-hmm. feel like you're bringing to the table here? Like what other experience do you have in your life that you think would make you a good city council member since you don't have the government mm-hmm. experience? I'm bringing Well, I do have some government experience. I was in the good military. Right. Yeah, but I do. I'm I'm bringing fresh ideas. I, I'm I'm not depending on the old policies that they're set in place. I'm looking to see how can we update them, you know, and let's get some some the ball moving, so mm-hmm. to speak, because everything seems like it's been at a standstill for years, and the city councilman that goes in. They're like they just follow along with the policies that's already put in place. How about let's take those policies that's put in place. If it's not working, then let's retweak them or whatever the case may be and get them going and, and make them work for our community. Mm-hmm. Okay. And let's learn a little bit more about you. What's your show and tell item for us today? My show and tell item is my back wall. Can you see it? Yeah, I'm seeing I'm seeing a bunch of different pictures. Yes. Are they paintings? Yes, I'm gonna go closer. Okay. See them? Yeah, very cool. What do we got here? Who who made these? Okay. These were made by my granddaughter. Wow. Yes. She's only 13 years old. Wow, so talented. That's amazing. Yeah. So that inspired me to run for city council because I looked around the community to see what could we do, you know, to put our kids in, what do they have to offer? If they have anything, they're not promoting it. They're not advertising it. So my granddaughter inspired me to run so I can open a center or something to bring our kids out of the houses back into the community because everything that they try to do these days is so expensive. So I, I will encourage parents, if you got any kind of talent, um, friends, family, whatever. If you got any kind of talent you want to show the kids or, you know, give some of your time to the kids and come in. I don't care if it's praise dancing, if it's painting, if it's, you know, singing, playing an instrument. Come and, you know, give some of your time, uh, volunteer some of your time to the children and get them out of the house and into the community. So that's what really inspired me. And that was Antonio Ross. Next up, we're gonna listen in on an interview I recorded with Kimberly Hawkins. Okay, I am here with Kim. We're talking city council. Let's dive right into it. Who are you? Why are you running? Um, I'm Kimberly Hawkins. I am a 25 year uh, resident of District 8 with the exception of one year. And um, I am a mother and a grandmother. I uh, have always been interested in politics and activism. Activism is probably the the most uh, integral part of my background. I also have a background in business in the restaurant and food and restaurant industry. Um, But voting rights and uh, women's rights and just the, you know, the human condition, human rights in general, are of huge importance to me. I um, 
I worked for, well, I volunteered for Organizing for America back in 2010, 2009, 2010. Then I worked on the Wendy Davis campaign just as a worker bee. I wasn't anything of um, note in that, but did a lot of phone banking, did a lot of um, neighborhood networking, so to speak. And, um, and then I, after the Wendy Davis campaign uh, outcome, I eventually started volunteering for Battleground Texas, which is, again, my, a, a huge, of huge importance to me. I've since become an election worker and um, in the uh, 2020 election was the first time I was a poll watcher, which was an interesting experience. Mm -hmm. And what do you do professionally? I am semi-retired. I, uh, because of working in uh, restaurant management for 15 mm. years, I basically rendered my hips <laughs> um, unable to walk. And so I went on disability in 2010. I, I always have to stop and think about that. 20, 2010. And um, I eventually got hip replacements. And I, as of now, I'm an Uber driver. For okay. Um, supplemental income. Yeah. Um, let's talk about some of the big issues facing Austin, you know, housing affordability, affordability in general, big issue in this election. If you were elected, what would you, what would you want to do to help address um, affordability in Austin? What do you feel like can be done? Well, pushing for um, more sustainable and affordable housing. I know District 8 has only fulfilled about 2% of its commitment to a 7,000 unit increase. Um, but more than anything, I think the city council's position is about getting the message out. I don't think people understand where we are in terms of goals and um, priorities. And, uh, you know, I was not aware that uh, these units were slated to be built. And- um, Right, this is our a strategic housing blueprint. Right. And I wasn't aware of a lot of things, quite frankly. Um, and honestly, I got into this because I just got, I, well, I got tired of not getting a response to my questions and then I was really upset about certain iconic Austin landmarks just being scrubbed in the name of real estate development. Hmm. And uh, like Hope Outdoor Gallery was a big um, thing that really bothered me. Uh, you know, and the price of real estate, I think, has something to do with the fact that Lucy in Disguise is closing, and that's another Austin landmark. Um, where docks uh, used to be on South Congress. Mm -hmm. That I have a picture of their sign that says Adios Soco. And I just, I remember taking that picture thinking, whoa, things are changing too much or mm -hmm. in, a, in a direction that 
I'm not happy about. Um, and then to be perfectly frank, during the pandemic, I really was very insulated in District 8. I worked as a grocery shopper in delivery and didn't talk to very many people and didn't leave this area. Mm -hmm. I started driving for Uber and started seeing all the differences in downtown in terms of just the massive number of high rises that just bothered my environmental sensibilities and just, it just doesn't seem like what I've always thought of Austin as. And being an Uber driver is really interesting. I talk to people that uh, when they are in the mood to talk, they tell you what they really think. Mm-hmm. And, um, I picked up a college kid last night and took him to West Campus. And I joked, I said, I think they leave the roads ar- around West Campus just completely decimated because it works as a default st- speed bump, maybe. <laughs> and, you know, um, the conditions yeah. of the roads, I've had so many people say, yeah, the Austin roads are really bad. And I'm sure Austin's not the only city struggling with this, but when I know these real estate developers are getting tax breaks and that the roads aren't being fixed and that that costs drivers an average of the figure I read, and this was about a year ago, was $500. I would imagine it's probably, you know, m- close to more like a thousand dollars average having to be spent on maintenance because of the roads. Mm-hmm. When, when we talk about, you know, you're, you're running against an incumbent in this case, Paige Ellis has been serving this district for four years. If you were elected, you know, what do you feel like specifically you could do differently than what she has done? What, you know, what could you bring uniquely to the city council that you don't feel like she's currently representing or policy she's not implementing? Well, I would be accessible for one thing. Um, I would show up at things like the, uh, I do open mic comedy also as well. And I would go to open mic, open mics as a representative, just so that people could voice their thoughts and ideas and concerns. Um, Because I just, I, f- I feel like that's been lacking, quite frankly. Visibility, accessibility, um, and responsiveness. And um, I, you know, I, I hear people, like, especially in the open mics, they'll, they'll make jokes. They'll say, will you, will you uh, cuss at the city council? I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. And, you know, it's, it, it was a joke about people being angry at city council and, mm-hmm. you know, those out of those jokes kind of came sort of, you know, a push in my brain to go ahead, do this. I may be a long shot, but at least I have a chance to get my message out. And at least I have a chance to um, build up a little recognition that, uh, whether I'm elected or not, I can push for these ideas, you know, push, push us to, to have a better mass transit system. You know, I talked to out of towners that say, yeah, you guys' mass transit system isn't great. 
Yeah. You and, know, when we, when we talk about, you know, you talked about pushing mass transit and you talked some about um, wanting to preserve like some of these old businesses, iconic places in Austin, what specifically do you feel like the city could be doing to preserve some of those places? Well, I feel like they could be, um, the, the tax status could be preserved so that they can afford the taxes without being tempted to sell their properties. Like, uh, the woman who's retiring from Lucy in disguise and selling that building. I'm sure she's going to make a lot of money. Um, and it, it's frustrating because it's not just Austin, it's the whole state of Texas. Mm -hmm. Property values have just exploded, which has exploded property taxes. And we're so dependent on property taxes right. for critical things like education, obviously. Um, it just, I feel like somebody needs to be a more vocal messenger about these policies that uh, really would better serve the people and better serve Austin as a holistic entity. Mm -hmm. um, before we close, I want to get to know you a little bit better as a person. We're doing our show and tells. Um, what item did you bring for us today? Um, well, since I missed it, I just grabbed this painting that um, I, I paint. I'm also, cool. which is one of the reasons why, um, Hope Outdoor Gallery really, you know, was a gut punch for me. Yes. I have pictures of artwork I produced there and I produced it with my grandson. And um, just, I, I liked that whole ethos of the idea that the community created this evolving <laughs> artwork, you know, even if it was an eyesore. And it just, it just made me shake my head when I, the, the alternative was to put something out by Circuit of the Americas. I thought, yeah, that's that's not accessible. Uh, that's not where people are going to go to do this kind of thing. And that was Kimberly Hawkins and the last of our interviews for today. There is one other candidate in this race, Richard Smith, um, but he did not respond to our interview request. If you want to learn more about all the candidates running, be sure to follow our Instagram page because we'll be publishing an election guide just for District 8. Also, if you click on the show notes for this episode, you can find links to all of the candidates' websites. And that's pretty much our show for today. But stay tuned because we'll be publishing episodes on all of the city council elections in the coming weeks. Oh, and don't forget to vote!